0: Thanks for doing that. Uh, exchange kids can head out. Just sign the form on the way out there and you can uh, head around to the change rooms. Just one last notice that the, um, I forgot to mention. It was just handed to me then. Um, the Encounter Church is running a prayer seminar next Saturday uh, with Czech Chia. Um, he was at a combined meeting about three or four months back, I think, uh, middle of this year. So he's running a prayer seminar, which uh, was uh, very good when he spoke with us a few weeks, a few months ago, about prayer. He so he's going to run the seminar free of charge. There's no cost to go there at all. I've got some flyers, so if anybody would be interested um, in that, please come and see me. And uh, we just need to let them know that you're coming down so they can sort of cater for it. But there is there's no cost involved to go to that uh, next Saturday between 9 and 4, I think, is roughly the time there that that's going to be on. So um, if you're keen and you want to go, please come and see me, and I'll uh, give you one of those flyers to, to do that. Okay, thank you. We are going through uh, a series of um, commitment, discipleship. What is it to be a disciple? What is it to be committed to Christ? What are the things that help us to uh, grow in that way? And uh, today we're going to look at some passages here which uh, which, uh, Jesus talks about the church. So... uh, If you've got your Bible, we're going to flick through three different passages to read first. So uh, Matthew 16, the first one, 16 verses 15 through 18. And uh, Jesus says this, And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Across to Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 22, 23 says this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I uh, over the page in Ephesians to verse 25 of chapter 5, it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Father, thank you. Thank you today uh, for this, uh, these passages of scripture that talk about the church. Uh, Lord, I just ask and pray right now that you know just how weak I'm feeling. Lord, you know how uh, inadequate I am in doing this. And Lord, I know so well that your word tells me that I can do nothing apart from Jesus. And Lord, I know that uh, you are here with me right now uh, to strengthen me, Lord, and more so for your Holy Spirit to come and open up this uh, truth about your word. So I pray uh, right now that you would uh, take your word, take the truth that is contained here in the Bible, And I ask and pray that you will do great things, great things in our heart. God, you would open up to us today in a new way, in a deeper way, what the church is all about. What Jesus has done with the church, how the Jesus builds the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus has died for the church and he's given the church to us to grow in and to thrive in. Help us now, I pray, Holy Spirit, to see this and grasp this. Perhaps we've never, ever seen it before. Let today be the day, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll do good things in and through your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So far, as we've gone through this series of commitment, discipleship, uh, we've looked at a few areas here. And the first one we looked at a few weeks ago was the gospel, how for a disciple to become a disciple must hear the good news about Jesus Christ, about his life, his death and his resurrection and come to the idea and the understanding that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness and that Jesus has purchased that forgiveness for me on the cross 2,000 years ago. And that is the good news of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Next, other than now hearing the gospel and becoming a follower of Christ and a disciple, a disciplined follower is what the word means, is a disciple. Next, we heard about growing and being transformed uh, as a disciple We need to be committed to God's Word, the Bible. And here's why we read out of that, because we actually want to be transformed by the truth as in this Word and see it take hold in our hearts and see it do good things as we hear this truth, as it were, uh, totally uh, transform and renew our minds. And then last week we saw the disciple not only grows by God's Word by being committed to it and reading it and thinking it through and meditating upon it, but last week we saw also that we grow in prayer. God personally communes with us through prayer, and that's the reason why we prayed before. We prayed to perhaps to open up the service. Uh, it's an incredibly faith-filled thing, and people outside again might look at it and think, who are these people praying to? It's a very faith-filled exercise when we pray, and uh, we looked at that last week. And uh, this week, we look at community, church. Now, some of us are or have been part of clubs or groups from time to time whether it be sporting clubs or social groups or uh, all manner of things it could be. And they're things where you get uh, you meet together regularly within these clubs and you get involved with group activities. And in that sort of scenario, it's meant to be an all-in thing. When you actually join these clubs, they're looking for an all-in thing where there's regular things help happening to help build up community within that club or sporting association or whatever you may be in. And they're all working together for a common cause. But what do we find all too often in those community causes or clubs or sporting groups? The commitment always isn't there, is it? And when that happens, the strength is lost. People actually miss out then on the value of community when they don't commit themselves to it. So today we want to think about this community of the church today, the community that is, that is the community that Jesus is building. Jesus builds his church. We want to think about that community that Jesus is building. And we want to see it as a vital community that Jesus has purposed for us to grow in and thrive in as we contribute to it and also as we receive from it. We want to see here this community that God is putting together and uh, the place where his disciples come and uh, grow and thrive as his committed believers. Firstly, in this idea, we want to think about what does the word church mean? What does the word church? How do we define this word church? Because someone could say, I'll meet you at the church. Or, you know that church down near McDonald's? Some might think of that. And when we say that, we're referring to the church as a building. That's not the church as such. It's the way we actually describe a building. But that's how some people may think of the church. It's just a building somewhere. The word itself, church, in the Bible, when it's translated from its original languages in the Greek, um, particularly the New Testament, it means assembly or congregation. Congregation. When it talks about the church, it talks about the assembly or it talks about the congregation. So when Paul, who wrote a number of the letters here of the New Testament that we read from, when Paul greets the church in Ephesus or when he greets the church in Corinth or Thessalonica or any of those places where he wrote those letters to, or Philippi, he's not actually greeting the building. They might meet in a building, and they might meet in people's homes, but Paul's not, when he says greetings to the church in Ephesus, he's not greeting the building, which wouldn't make any sense at all because the building wouldn't be able to speak back to him. Paul is greeting the congregation or the assembly of people who are meeting together. It's people. The church is the people. It's the congregation or it's the assembling together of people. So when the New Testament talks about church, It talks about this group of people meeting together, this congregation or this assembly. So then if we think about that a little bit further, who is this congregation of people that Paul is greeting? What brings them together? What brings all these people together together even today or in other churches around this uh, city of Sheppard or the community of the Golden Valley? The church or the congregation or assembly, as far as the New Testament is concerned, is a group of people that are unified around Jesus Christ. It refers to the church in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. It's talking about people who are unified and coming together around the person of Jesus Christ. They've obeyed the gospel. They've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They've seen him as their treasure and they understand him to be the one who's been sent from God to reunite a people cut off from God because of their sin. They've seen who Jesus is. They've responded to the gospel and they've obeyed it. And then under the lordship or the rulership of Jesus, they become the visible representation of Jesus here on this earth, here and now. Jesus is no longer here. He was here 2,000 years ago. He's not here today. His church is still here, and that is us, people who are unified in and around Christ. We become and are the hands and feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. We speak the same words that Jesus speaks. We actually communicate the same truth, that Jesus brought to us and we gather together as the church. If we think about this idea here of church, it wasn't a last minute thing or it wasn't sort of a plan B as far as God was concerned or or Jesus was concerned. In the grand plan of things, the church, the gathering, the assembly of people has always been first and foremost in God's mind. Here in Matthew 16, 18, he says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's a, there's a sense here in the mind of Christ, in the mind of Jesus, who's actually saying these words to the Apostle Peter 2,000 years ago, I will build my church. It's something in the mind of Christ from the very beginning. They knew the God knew the fall would take place, and he knew he would redeem a people out of this world and bring and call them to himself. So the the church is in the mind of Christ and it's a very personal thing for Jesus. I will build my church. I will build my church. It's always been in the mind of God since before the foundation of the world. Big concept for us to take in, but that's exactly how the Bible would communicate that to us. Jesus is building a church. I will build my church, a community of people. And this church that Jesus builds it's not just something he does for a hobby, it's something he loves with a passion. He loves so much this church that he's building, that he's called to himself, that he's willing to die for this church, to see this church instituted and made possible. Ephesians 5.25, as we said earlier, husbands, love your wives. That would be another whole sermon in itself, wouldn't it, if we just stopped there. But Paul is talking about husbands, but he's using here, An example of this incredible sacrificial love that Jesus has shown. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. You can't see it there, but actually he's saying he died for the church. He died to make the church possible. That's a pretty big commitment. That's not cheap stuff. That's a big cost. That's how much Jesus loves the church that he's building he says, I will die for this church. I will do whatever it takes to institute and get this church happening. I will die for this church. Jesus gives up his life because he loves the church that he's building. God the Father has given Jesus headship or directing of this church as well. As again, as we read in Ephesians 1, 22, 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him, this is Jesus, as head, Over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus builds the church, Jesus loves the church, and Jesus guides and directs the church with all the authority of God the Father given to him to actually see this church accomplish and fulfill all of the purposes that God has for it. It's a beautiful picture of this when you actually marry this into this idea of Jesus' love for the church that he has authority and directorship or leadership of the church. The one who loves the church, who's given himself up for the church and cares for this church is the one who also directs and leads this treasured possession of himself. It's a glorious picture here. And Jesus' ultimate will for this church is to be perfectly united with him in eternity. That is the end game. That is the end goal. It's actually to be united in perfection and harmony with Jesus For eternity, living as a body of people in total peace and joy and uh, pleasures forevermore, the Bible tells us, united with him. And all that Jesus does in the church here and now is for the betterment of every one of his followers, every one of his believers. Everything he does now is to shape us and mould us into that end game, into that end point of being united perfectly with him in eternity forever and ever. It's an incredibly stunning picture here that we get of Jesus. He says, I'm going to build my church. It's my body. He sees it as intricately involved with him. He sees himself as God has placed him as the head of this church that's my body. Just like my head is attached to my body, that's how Jesus sees himself attached to this church. He loves the church, he dies for the church, he cares for the church. So what does Jesus do with the church? What does he do? As Jesus loves it and he heads the church, what are his purposes for the church? What does Jesus want to do with the church? Jesus desires to transform us and build us up, so he uses the church to carry out that mission. He uses the church to transform us and to build us up. He wants to transform us into committed disciples who follow him wholeheartedly And he uses the church for that task. Read with me here in Ephesians chapter 4, as we see here what Jesus does. And he, this is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, church, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So... That we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That is a glorious piece of scripture. If we could just unpack that and grasp the truth in that, uh, that is really faith building stuff. That is stuff that builds foundations into your lives to understand how much Jesus loves the church that he is building. It's a glorious picture. What's he saying there in verse 12? equip the saints, equip the saints, that's you and I, Jesus wants to equip. And again, uh, in verse 12, for building up the body, that's you and I again. These are the purposes here for the church, to equip the saints, to build up the body, to be no longer tossed about by waves. There's a picture there of this boat on an ocean It's just getting tossed to and fro as it goes through the, the swell and the huge waves. But Jesus is there to keep us steady and keep us firm by equipping us and by building us up as his body, the one that he loves. The idea of, of, of equip in verse 12 is to be made complete, to be made complete. It's like the training of an athlete. Uh, If if somebody's ever involved in training an athlete, which I'm certainly not involved in that, what they do is they'll check every action and every area of this athlete and they'll analyse and check and see where perhaps some deficiencies are or weaknesses are and they'll study and they'll work on that person and see that and then they'll actually say, right, we need to train and discipline ourselves in these various skills to complete you as an athlete. The areas where you may be weak, we need to train you and discipline you and then we'll complete you as the athlete fitted out for this competition. So Jesus. Through the church, his vehicle that he's chosen to do this with comes with every respect of looking into our lives and uses the church to train us and to discipline us, to equip us, to make us complete. And the other idea he used there is to build up the body. This build-up is like strengthening, strengthening, making strong. Again, if we look at the athlete, it's like he or she needs to be built up for the task ahead. Some of those people are... um, preparing for events some of those Olympic Games. They are doing all sorts of training regimes a long way out to uh, build up their body in perhaps areas of weakness where they might need extra strength. And they'll do that a long way out and they'll train and they'll actually get prepared for that. And that's exactly what Jesus does in and through the church. He wants to build us up, strengthening us and preparing us for life's challenges that we will come against as we make this journey through life as followers of Jesus. He wants to equip and he wants to build up. It's a great uh, desire that Jesus has and a great purpose that he carries out through the church, through the gathering, through the assembly. How does Jesus do this work? How does he do it? Does he just sort of wave a magic wand over us and it just happens? In conjunction with the Bible and with the Holy Spirit, Jesus chooses to use us. To be part of that work of the ministry we saw there before he equips the saints for the work of the ministry it's in verse 12 he says it there as well he uses us i find that a bit of standing at sometimes why he would choose to use me but he does nothing special about me at all but he chooses to use me and everybody else who's a believer in christ to work together to become as it were to be uh, the work of the ministry we won't go to it today but in, in 1 corinthians chapter 12 there's a picture here that Paul gives as, as he describes a body. And when he describes his body, he describes hands and feet. He describes sort of um, mouthpiece. He describes all manner of things for this body, arms, legs, everything you could think about in a body. He describes all of these things. And what Paul is doing as he goes through this in 1 Corinthians 12, he's actually saying that this gives a picture of a body with all its various parts. And we are. There's a whole myriad of parts in all of us as we come together. And the picture that Paul gives us as we think about that is is the Holy Spirit, uh, through the instruction of Christ, equips all of these parts of the body to come together to make the body. All these various individual parts come together to make the body. I mean, if my hand was sitting out there on its own and was not attached to me, it would be useless, totally useless. But because it's attached to the rest of my body and connected in with me, it plays an integral part. If I didn't have hands, I couldn't pick up anything. So this is not a useless thing when it's attached to my body. It actually plays a very important part. Even if I didn't have fingers, small little part of my body, if I took my thumb off, that would be really, really critical. I'd be trying to grab things with my fingers without my thumb. But when it's connected to my hand, which is connected to the rest of my body, it actually plays an important part. And this is what Paul talks about here in this body ministry, that God uses us. It's all types of various parts within the body coming together, fitted to be this body that is used for the work of the ministry. Here's three functions that uh, God uses for completing his church in the sense of the body coming together. Bible teaching. Here's a part that we play as the body of Christ. We teach from God's word. We come together as a church to hear the truth about Jesus, about the gospel. And the Holy Spirit works in these scriptures as we unpack this truth to grow faith in our hearts, belief and trust in who Jesus is and what he has done for our lives. And from this, we begin to live lives that are in line with God's will and for his glory as we actually see that word take heart and uh, take place in our lives. Another function we, we have uh, as a church with all the various parts come together, congregational worship, singing, and swatting flies away too. Congregational worship, singing. It's a great thing that God uses to bless us with. I've been in some meetings where I've just felt absolutely blessed and blown away by the congregational singing. It's a part of completing us, strengthening us and building us up. I'm thankful every week for those who can um, contribute their time here because they're here from about quarter past eight onwards, plus they're doing practice through the week, to come and bless us uh, with congregational singing that we can take part in and we can be built up and strengthened by it as we sing the truths about who God is and what he's done for us. Community, the very purpose of uh, gathering and assembling. Community, church is about community. One of the functions that Jesus uses with other people, it's about this gathering of people with a common purpose to glorify Jesus. And in this gathering with a common purpose, we share our lives together, we really do. What do we hear about today, which we've known for a little while? Simone's moving to Melbourne. So she's sharing that part of her life with us. So we actually come alongside Simone and we do what we can to help her. That's part of community. That's part of the various parts of the body coming together to do life together. And in that community, we share all sorts of things. We share lots of joys. could be babies born with Dan and Sam uh, earlier this year. People getting married, people getting engaged. Lots of joys. Birthdays. Jobs, great joys, great pleasures of life. But alongside that, we also share the pain of life, the tragedies of life. We are with Corey and Amber just a few weeks or months ago when Ann died. So we share that sort of suffering and that grief. And when somebody loses a job, we come alongside somebody and we pray and support them and help them, encourage them through that. We actually are there to share the joy of life and also the painful experiences of life. And that's what community does. It's here where we get to support and encourage each other in this common journey together. And that comes from community. Because here we come and find a people on the same path together, experiencing life in many of the same ways, and we can sympathize with each other. And what springs out of that is genuine practical love, prayer, practical help or support. Could be cooking food, could be helping out financially, could be any number of ways that the community with a common cause that's being put together by Christ built by him, loved by him, is working together to harmonise as this this, uh, community. Friends, the church, the gathered body of Jesus, the disciples, really is a glorious gift that God has given us. It really is the place that Jesus has given for us to grow and to thrive in as his people committed to his cause and committed to him. As I think about this and as I read through the New Testament, I also see another aspect about uh, community that I I see strongly through the New Testament and it communicates um, a, a sense of closeness within the early church that they had together as they bonded together through all types of difficulties and all types of challenges. And that bonding together, I liken it to partnership, partnership. Now, you may think of it here as membership and we have referred to it as membership in the past. But I, I'd like to use another word called partnership, where we partner together in this community, uh, linking, as it were, arms together and standing shoulder to shoulder and uh, facing all of the challenges we face in church life. And as I look at the early church, they did this as a very unified group. This challenges they faced, and they were big challenges, and uh, they were like a distinct group in that early church partnering together and uh, stand together with arms linked alongside each other and working through those challenges as as a unified group. It's like they wanted to share in every aspect of church life and church growth. So we like partnership too, and we invite people to become partners here at Exchange Church. It's a formal process that takes place over two to three sessions to explain who we are, what we're about, and then to make a commitment to us as a body of believers to partner with us for the cause of the gospel and to see good things take place in the community of the, the Greater Shepherd and where we live in. It's helping to partner with us in the, with the direction of the church. as in like a real finger on the pulse. So we call for people and encourage people to become partners with us here at Exchange Church. Now, it's not compulsory. certainly not compulsory, and we don't see anybody as a second-class citizen or a second-class disciple if they choose not to become a partner, not at all. And if they don't want to go that way, that's fine. We still love you and we still want you and we still value you just the same. No difference. But we think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to encourage people to become partners within the life of a local church and to have their finger on the pulse and to really, as it were, stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side, facing all of these challenges together. Friends, Jesus is building his church. He said, I will build my church. I love the church so much I will die for the church. And Jesus has died for the church. He loves the church more than you or I could ever possibly imagine. We could not even get anywhere near uh, the love that Jesus has for the church as he expressed that on the cross. And it's here in this community where God generously gives his grace to complete us and to strengthen us, equipping us and building us up. And it's here in this gathering or assembly, the church where Jesus has purposed that we grow and thrive as we uh, regularly attend and participate in the local church, the local assembly or the local gathering. Let me ask you this question as we think about that. How do you see the church? How do you see the church? If you're a Christian, where does the community of God's people sit with you as far as the priority list is concerned? What is your commitment to Jesus' loved and treasured gathering of people? How do you see the church? Do you see the church the way Jesus sees it? He's going to build this church and he is building this church. He loves this church so much he dies for the church. Do you see it as critical, vital, as really, 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 really important? Is it way up there on your priority list? Where does it sit? How do you see the church? Unfortunately, we live in a world today of generally low commitment levels. People just aren't deeply committed to things in general these days, unless they see something really vital about it or something they want to get received from it. You've only got to go online and um, go into an online store or something and you can join this loyalty club, it'll be called. But there's only one thing you've got to do to join the loyalty club, Just tick the box to agree to their terms and conditions and you're in the loyalty club. You never have to attend a general meeting, you never have to attend a working bee or anything else. You just tick the box, agree of terms and conditions and you're in the loyalty club. Doesn't sound like a real loyalty to me or commitment to that thing other than ticking the box. You've only got to be part of a local service club or sporting club and uh, get involved there on a committee and try and get things up and happening, get a working bee taking place or get a barbecue going. You might have 150 members or something in the club and you put up a working beer or a barbecue to help fundraise and you're struggling to get six or seven people sometimes to get to that. They're happy to be part of the club or or join the sporting group, but they don't really want to commit themselves that far. They don't want to go to that next level of commitment. That's the world we live in. It's low commitment. We generally only do the things we feel like doing. If I feel like doing it, I'll get involved. If I feel like doing it, I'll go down there. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we bring that same mindset or attitude to our understanding of the church. We don't see church as vital for our spiritual lives. We don't put it way up there on the priority list where it should be for our spiritual health. Sometimes church becomes optional. If I can fit it in, eh, I'll fit it in. If I've got something else better on today, I might go do that. Sometimes it becomes very much like an option. Sometimes we just decide, well, I'm going to take a Sunday off church this week. Just not going to go. Don't feel like going, so I'll give it a miss. And when we do this, uh, we run into a dangerous area of our lives, a dangerous area of our lives of letting our feelings or other things creep in and dictate to us and control the way we live. I'm so tired today, I'm just going to sleep in. I just I just need a catch-up. I just need to catch-up. I just need to get some more hours in bed. I'm going to sleep in Sunday morning. I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to get up. I'm going to have a cooked breakfast. I've always wanted to cook mushrooms and bacon and eggs. just going to take it easy, cook breakfast. I'm going to wander outside later on. I'm going to have a leisurely morning in the garden, pull a few weeds out here and there. Going to wander out of the shed, tied up a few things I've been meaning to get to for quite quite a long time. I've got this wonderful Sunday all planned out. I'm just going to have a day off. And I'm going to be totally relaxed. I'm just going to enjoy this Sunday. I'm just going to take it off. And we convince ourselves that's exactly what we need. We go through the whole argument in our head. Actually, the argument doesn't last very long. We're just totally convinced, I need the day off. I'm just going going to relax. And we do, we go ahead, do that. Breakfast, mushrooms, tomatoes, bacon, eggs, hash browns, coffee. Get out in the garden, pull some weeds out. That garden bed looks beautiful now. Got out the shed. I've sorted all those boxes out. And we feel great. We feel really relaxed. We feel like I've really enjoyed this. I've loved this Sunday off. Actually, I've enjoyed it so much, I think I might do it again. And there's no doubt that that type of Sunday morning will be really enjoyable, really relaxing. You'll feel really good about it in one sense. You'll feel like I've really achieved something. I feel really relaxed. Actually, I thoroughly enjoyed this. My flesh or my natural person feels really happy. But what have we done for our spiritual person? What have we done for the new creation that God's creating within us Now that we are a disciple of Christ, now that we're following him, what have we done for that new creation that God's working inside of us? My natural person, my flesh says, I love this, I can keep doing this, but what have we done for our spiritual person? We've starved him or her. We've starved him. He's missed out on a good feed of God's community, of nurturing and strengthening and growing and thriving and building up and completing and equipping. We've starved our spiritual person. We've neglected what we should be doing. We've malnourished and underfed that person. I've heard it before and I've seen it take place. I'm just going to step back from church for a while. I'm just going to take a break. I'm just going to sort of, you know, get my head cleared up. It's only going to be for a few weeks. It won't be long and then I'll be right and I'll get organised. That's all I'm going to do. Starts with a few weeks. Gets out to a few months. What do you know? I've been for years. That's what happens when you cut yourself off from this community. This church is here for our gospel nourishment and our blessing. Laurel told me of a couple this week who are not in this church or in this town that are having marriage troubles. Now, that's common to nearly all of us to some degree or more. And they've decided their way to work, this is a Christian couple, their way to work through this marriage drama is they're going to have some time off from church. They're just going to step away from church and they're going to get home base sorted out. They're just going to, you know, they're just going to get things back in, in the right priority again. It's going to just step back out of church. We just need to spend some more time together so we can work these things out. In a way, it sounds good, doesn't it? You know, they're thinking about their marriage, yeah, we've got to get this right, Let's spend this out. This is, you know, Take some time away from church, away from God's community, away from God's opportunity to build us up and to nourish us and encourage us. It sounds good, but no. No. That is not what you do if you want to rebuild your marriage. You do not cut yourself off from what God has given. God gives a vehicle of his grace, a, way, a place to thrive and to grow, and we're going to say No. I'm going to step out of that. I'm going to try and do it on my own, on my own strength. No, you don't do that. He's given us that community to build us up, to help us through that journey, to step us through. The moment we let our feelings or other things creep in and dictate the way we live life and the way we put our priorities and where we see God's community setting in there, the moment we do that, we are in dangerous territory, really dangerous territory. We cannot be, be be controlled by those feelings. I just don't feel like it today. Or if we get this faulty thinking of, gee, I've got this um, party that's on Sunday. Oh, yeah, it starts about twelve. Ah, look, I want to get organised for it. You know, it's, it's like all these things creep in and they sort of push church out. And it's so surprising how easily church just slips off. The community of believers meeting on them just slips off the radar. It just falls off. It's so. I'll do that every week. To miss a few weeks means nothing. It just gets pushed to the side. God said in the Garden of Eden, it's not good for man to be alone. He's designed us, created us to be in community, to be together, to harness all of God's gifts that he's placed within us, to form the body connected and completed together. The moment we we remove ourselves from this community that God has made, we do truly cut ourselves off from the vehicle of God's grace that he's given for us to be strengthened, equipped and built up. We spend all week facing the influences of a godless world. We do. In many respects, all sorts of conversations take place at work or, or wherever it may be, and people are talking about how they handle their relationships, how they'll do that. So he, maybe our, uh, this couple that we know of, that, you know, maybe they're mixing at a workplace somewhere, and, and they might hear something like this, look, just tell him where to go and clear off. I'm sure they'll get that advice sometimes. He can't treat you like that. You just tell him where to go and clear off. That'll be some of the advice someone will be giving them. They'll be getting that influence all week in various ways and various forms. Or it could be this. It could be other godless ideas of the world. Someone's trying to get ahead in life and, and maybe stock his tool shed up. And the guys at the back say, hey, there's a whole bunch of tools in the back store. And they never check it. They never check that back store. And just grab a few tools, put in your bag and take them home. From the workplace, they'll never know they're gone. There'll be other godless ideas. that will be trying to influence us. All sorts of false ways of thinking will come in. We're in that all week. We've got to come back and think about what this church is, what the gift is of His assembly, of His gathering of His people. It is this gift. It's a community where we can refocus on the truth of the gospel. Where we must, where we might be bombarded all week with who knows what sort of godless ideas. We come here of a Sunday morning and we're able to refocus. Actually, I'm able to get my mind cleared again as I come together with God's people to get me thinking straight. It's a place where I can be encouraged with the battles I faced that week, strengthened and supported. It's a place where I can share my griefs and burdens with people who truly love me and people who truly care for me. It's a place where I can cry with some. And we do lots of crying here at Exchange, and I don't have a problem with that at all. I do plenty myself. And we can do plenty of rejoicing as well. That's what the community's there for. It's God's community for our joy. So a spiritual person with our mind open up to the gospel must rule our feelings, must rule our thinking. God's word must come in and must tell us that we are to commit ourselves to the believers that God has called us into and to be committed to this community of believers for God's good in our lives. I can honestly say, I can really honestly say I've never come across a Christian who is a thriving, growing believer outside of a community of believers. They may be a Christian, but they'll be a very narrow-minded Christian or a stunted Christian if they're not included in a group of believers where God has called us to be into. In myself, I'm totally and personally convinced, absolutely, that God has used my commitment to church for the gathering, for the assembling of the the, uh, believers, as for my growth and perseverance as a believer in my walk with Jesus. Totally convinced of that. No one will argue with me to any other thought other than, hey, God has used this to help me persevere and grow as a believer. When I became a follower of Jesus back in the 1970s, back before some of you were born, our church back then that I was part of taught a very solid commitment to church. Solid, regular commitment to the uh, believers. And I can honestly say in my younger days, there were seasons with me when I was meeting with other believers, either in prayer meetings or regular church meetings, uh, regular times each week. There was a period of time where it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night prayer meeting, Wednesday night Bible study group, Friday night Royal Rangers and Saturday night youth. No problems at all. And for most of my life, um, it's been multiple times every week meeting with other believers, committed to the body. Now, I don't say this to brag at all, and I have absolutely no regrets as I look back on the commitment I've made over the past 40-odd years, none whatsoever. What I'm totally, completely convinced of is that God used that commitment to the believers, to the church, to the gathering, to the assembly, to help me to persevere through all the seasons of life that I've been through and to help me to grow as an established believer as well. God used all of that to grow me and establish me. And I would recommend it to anybody. Do you want to grow and flourish as a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you want to be strengthened, encouraged, supported and held accountable for your Christian life? Is that what you want? And I want to encourage everybody, if you're a follower, that's what you do want. Well, it's in God's community. It's in his place where you need to be, and that's where you'll find it. As a disciple committed to Jesus, you'll be committed to his community of believers, and there you will grow and thrive. Let me close with this uh, last passage here, and uh, it's 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 a Bible passage written to a group of believers who are facing severe persecution. Severe persecution. Just for identifying as Christians, they would probably be put in jail. Any suspicion of Christian activity with this group of believers would lead to all sorts of dramas and difficulties with their lives. Perhaps they would lose all of their earthly belongings just for saying they're a Christian. So here's what the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 10 says to this group who are facing extreme persecution. He says this in verse 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't move off this confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He will not let you down. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Hebrews probably had every reason under the sun not to meet together as a church. To meet together would probably mean imprisonment. They had every reason possible to make an excuse not to meet together as a community of believers. But what does the writer say to them? He encourages them, keep meeting together. Don't neglect it as some have done. And actually, do it all the more as the day approaches. Why? because this is the community that Jesus has given, that He is building, that He loves, and He purposes for us to grow and thrive in, to minister to each other. I can't say strongly, do not underestimate what God does in and through the gathering of the believers. You might think, what is God doing in this? Just a bunch of people come together on a Sunday morning. You may have those thoughts. Do not underestimate what God does. He does incredible things when the believers come together under the name of Christ, looking for him. Jesus builds the church. Jesus loves the church. And Jesus has made the church for you and I to grow and thrive in. Let's not neglect it. Father, thank you. Thank you today for your word. Thank you for the truth that you uh, unpack into our lives. Father, thank you for the church. Lord, she is not perfect. It does have its challenges. It does have its difficulties. But, Lord, gloriously and marvellously you are working in and through the community of believers who come together to humbly unite together under you and to receive of the grace and the strength that you give. Lord, today I pray for those who've perhaps let their feelings dictate to them or other things have just slipped in and thinking that's more important than going to church today. God, I really pray today that you will refresh in their hearts Uh, what value there is as we come to the church, as we come to your community that you've ordained. And I pray that you would renew our commitment to it, renew our willingness, Lord, to come and to participate and to receive all of what you've given to us in and through the church. Father, thank you that your son came. Thank you, Jesus, that you are building this church and thank you that you love this church. God, today, I pray that you'll do that work in my heart and the hearts of those who are hearing as well. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions about the church? Anybody see that mouse out there before? Lizard, Lizard, wasn't it? I thought it was a mouse. Okay, thank you. We're going to have... Come up and do one song to close. And then... uh,